Oh my god, we just blew out my mind. And that's the whole show. In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. I, I think that might be a good place to start just in general. Overall, before we get into the, the last two episodes that we, we've we watched since the first four reaction we did, the music in this. Aside from the plot and Kenobi and all the stuff that's going on, I personally am a little bit disappointed with the the music and the score and the use of music in this series. Mandalorian's been great. I, I appreciate John Williams using an original score for Obi-Wan, but it doesn't have as much weight as other Star Wars. Like, they used Duel of the Fates, one of the greatest songs ever, in the trailer for the series, and... They didn't use it at all. And only in the end of this finale, they use the Imperial March. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's nitpicky, but it just some of what makes Star Wars so good is that John Williams score. I would wholeheartedly agree. It, it was a little like weird because they have like the new Disney Star Wars opening that like has played on Mandalorian and Boba Fett. And it's like, OK, it's kind of neat. It's kind of like a stylistic thing. And then it just goes straight into like the very like wispy Obi-Wan theme. And they're like almost the identical theme but you just like i think i mentioned this last episode but there's something about sitting down in the seat in your movie theater with your big bowl, bowl of popcorn and then you got the big fanfare that comes up after the 20th century fox logo which no longer exists it's just it's a bygone era you know honestly i didn't think much about the music in this like it it literally had not occurred to me until the imperial march that i wasn't i just wasn't focused on the music and i guess that does i, I don't think it was bad but I guess it didn't stand out like it does in a lot of the other stuff. It's very generic and it just it's serviceable to like what's happening on the screen. But I w- I didn't like feel a particular way. I did notice in this this final episode, which we'll get into the details of like the music was trying to make it seem more epic. Things were bigger than they actually were when it was like very actually pretty limited, given what everything that happened in the whole series. And I'm just watching and I'm like, I know the music's supposed to like, it's trying to make me feel a certain way, but I just didn't like it didn't have that effect on me. The only thing that really actually worked in trying to get you invested, which I mean, whether it succeeded or failed, it was just like they're relying so heavily on like very iconic characters, people playing them and just like you you need to have like a, a encyclopedia of knowledge of like everything that came before this to really understand any kind of gravity to these situations. Because if you were to just watch this series out of context with everything, you'd be like, what was anything that just happened? And why was it important? <laughs> I think I think Dan said it the right way. It just, it didn't really occur. You know, and that, it didn't stand out. And that, I think that might've been my issue is that with every Star Wars property, it's been like, like the title screen and the Imperial March and even even Ray's theme from the sequel trilogy. You know, I have my issues with the sequel trilogy, but you can't say shit about the music. The music sounds like a Star Wars film. 
right? And it makes those moments that sometimes kind of feel, you know, I, I was watching Attack of the Clones other day because it's my least favorite of the, the six George Lucas movies. The writing is, is just kind of schlocky and the romance is bad and whatever. I don't think the actors and the characters are bad. I just think that the, it's it's written and directed by someone who just had a bunch of yes people around them because George Lucas had a bunch of money. And that's fine. I still love one through three, but episode two being the weakest, it still has some of the greatest moments when it comes to musical feeling and weight. And it's like, I look back on that as a kid and it's like, oh man, it was when they're fighting Dooku for the first time, when, when they're attacking Geonosis for the first time, it's like, oh, you feel it, right? And with this, I would almost think that this is a bigger event. At least it was advertised that way, like the, the, the rematch of the century, right? This is advertised as this massive event with one of the main characters of Star Wars lore right obviously luke and anakin are the main protagonists of the of of the entire skywalker saga but obi-wan is the mentor of all mentors right he is the guy this is supposed to be a bridge between three and four aside from the plot and aside from any of the stuff that went on in the actual series aside from that the feeling of it feels generally underwhelming and i don't know if that's I think I think to add on to that is because of the music. I think it just didn't feel it didn't have that feeling to me. And that's that's a, that's a it's a a criticism that's outside of my issues with the plot or the or what happened or whatever. That's just the the weight of it didn't feel as big. I almost wish it would have been one 2-hour movie where it was like a theater a theatrical event that you and McGregor comes back as Obi-Wan it's worth that to me. I mean now if we have all six episodes out and it's it's a it's a one limited series whether they do season 2 or not I don't think it, it matters at this point but I think as a as a 1 through 6 episode episodic thing on Disney Plus I think it's better as a one-off binge than it is watching it week to week because episodes one through three and then four i was just like oh god what's next how are they gonna how, you know that pisses me off what are they gonna do and then they they tied up some loose ends in episode five and then they they tied up some loose ends in episode six and it's but it 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 makes it feel so dragged out and frustrating sometimes as a, as a fan who knows the canon and I have to put my faith in the people who are writing this that they don't fuck up the canon. And sometimes they maybe they don't or they do. It, it depends. Right. I, I mean, it, it leads to more interpretation and more discussion like we're about to have. But I don't know. That's my general overall. I think it I think as a series, once episode six aired today, as we're recording this, it makes the series holistically better, but it doesn't make it satisfying for me. Maybe let's let me see if I can. um actually just like chart the major plot beats of all six episodes like in a very broad way like as quick as i can i'll try and keep it to two minutes just to see if anything actually did happen in this so we start obi-wan still on tatooine watching over luke we have grand inquisitors who are also on tatooine looking for jedi and in the background of this we find out vader is on a is hell-bent to find obi-wan who's in hiding, who also happens to be on Tatooine. One of the Inquisitors, Reva, is, has a vendetta, clearly, to try and get Obi-Wan because she, at first sight, is trying to win Vader's favor and become the Grand Inquisitor. And we find out, of course, she has ulterior motives, which I will get to in the later plot beats. So her plan is to kidnap Leia to pull Obi-Wan out of hiding because there's a vague connection between her and Obi and, and Bail Organa. Great. All right. Obi-Wan's pulled out of hiding, goes on an awesome off-planet adventure to rescue little Leia. And that's where he basically, him and Leia, he rescues her. And the rest of the show basically is 
is them getting chased by Reva, the Inquisitors, and Vader. And then we find out that Reva was one of the younglings who got not killed off by Anakin as he was turning into Vader during Order 66. Uh, And she is actually trying to get to Vader to exact her revenge on him for killing all her youngling friends. Okay, so then Obi-Wan realizes this and is like trying to pull the lightness out of her. And she's like basically lets him and Leia escape. They go off planet. Reva tries to exact her vengeance on Vader anyway because he's there and fails miserably because she sucks and still doesn't die from being struck by a lightsaber, getting stabbed by a lightsaber a second time. And so then she hears this uh, signal from, is it Owen on Tatooine? It was a transmission from Bail Organa. That mentions Owen and the boy. Okay, so there's uh, some vague boy that she doesn't actually have any context for (laughs) on Tatooine. So that she immediately goes to try and get little Luke on Tatooine. Vader's chasing Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan splits off from the rest of the pack to lead Vader off. And they fight on a planet. And he fucks up Vader pretty much and leaves and gets to Tatooine instantly. And Reva is about to kill Luke, says, oh, I'm turning into a bad guy, meanie head, decides not to. And and Obi-Wan's like, I'm proud of you. He doesn't say that, but basically says that and just they, they're fine after all they've been through up to this point. And then everything, everybody's back to where they started, basically, at the beginning of the series. And the only two things that have changed are three things that have changed are Reva no longer is a big meanie head. Maybe Vader no longer wants to hunt Obi-Wan because he gets scolded by the Emperor and Obi-Wan is no longer a depressed asshole and can talk to Qui-Gon Jinn. That's pretty. And Owen and Owen doesn't hate Obi-Wan anymore, which was never really explained. Those are those are the four character changes that have happened over the course of six episodes. I would add in, too, that that Leia Leia's embraced her, her her sense of adventure and rebellious nature is embraced by her mother and father now. Why, why did her going off and doing this adventure need to get them to make that change? Like she's in the same spot she was in. She was always a little rebellious adventurer and she gets back and she's still a rebellious adventurer. <laughs> yeah, but they they scolded her and then now and then she put the holster on and her boots and her mom's like, I love it. And like she like she I think they're par- when you have an existential crisis like that as a parent, you start to not have that that you don't hold on to those small grudges that don't matter. You let your child be your child a little bit more. So I think there's a growth there with Bale and which I think is fine to show. I think Bale Organa is a is a very great surrogate father, adoptive father for Leia. But I, I yeah, you you're all the beats you hit are that's I, I don't know, Dan, do you have any contest? That was pretty much what happened. That is what happened. That is that was the series. That was where it ended. So my next question is why? Why did we need this story to hit those beats? Because it was a cool story, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> what did I learn? What did we learn as an as an audience from this? That Disney likes to make money. <laughs> really though i'm trying to hit at like the themes like what was what was this series why did this story need to be told what was this story getting at what what do we learn from these characters and their changes ultimately we so there's a almost 20 year gap between episode three and four we see obi-wan at the end of episode three and he he thinks anakin's dead he knows he's failed and he goes into hiding to protect luke come back up to episode four he knows he knows that anakin is alive he knows all these things about Vader and about the Emperor and about the Empire. Something changed. Like there's there's a difference there. They, I'm trying to think. I I had like 15 minutes prepared. For I this. mean, that's it, it's it's fine. I'm not trying. It's not like I personally got to the end and I was like, I don't know 
what I actually gained from this unknown bit of canon that was brought to light. Because like now that it's there, it's the idea is that this has always happened in between these two movies, right? In this span of time. And I don't know if I just watched episode three and then I watched episode four. And if I hadn't seen this little bit in between, I wouldn't really have like be missing any context for the characters or their changes and in watching this i i didn't i don't the only actual thing i gained was insight into not obi-wan as a character necessarily but i guess this new character reva had like the strongest arc even though how it was written was not great it was just like she had the strongest change from episode one to the end like she had the biggest growth and learning moment i would i guess maybe obi-wan had it as well like he learned to actually i don't know i was going to try and make an argument for what obi-wan learned but maybe let's start there what did obi-wan actually what was the change that we we learned in the show called obi-wan kenobi from well i think what we saw wasn't necessarily something you need between episode three and four just like any of these expanded universe stories you never really need them they're not gonna you're not gonna miss out on things from the original trilogy from episode three and four you can still watch this own thing watching obi-wan is a great addition because you get to see this development that we necessarily we kind of just assumed happened like he or it, we're seeing things that we didn't know happened with Obi-Wan. We never really knew that he fell into this darkness. He had this failure. He thought he failed. He knows he failed. We never get to see him resolve that. And he became such a big and popular character in the prequels. Obviously, he was popular in the originals. We In the original trilogy, he was the old mentor. And then they introduce him in the prequels, and we get to see his change and his development through the prequels. But there's still just that gap between those two that what happened to him in those 20 years? People ask that. And that's one of the things that's one of the reasons I've personally I've enjoyed pretty much everything that Disney has put out for Star Wars is because, yeah, it's not necessarily stuff we need. It's the same thing with Solo. I love Solo. I accept that you don't need to watch Solo. You never need to watch Solo. But I enjoy the movie because we get to see a different part of that character. This is a part. This is a version of Obi-Wan we haven't seen. We haven't seen these sad upset obi-wan and we get to see him there and we get to see how he gets back out of it and back to where he needs to be by the time they get to episode four i, I think that what dan what you just said is it kind of explains or informs my issue with the series as a whole because what you just explained is what i wanted to see i don't feel like i got that from this i got that from episode six but the first episode shows obi-wan establish him establishes him on tatooine he's sad he's broken he's ptsd ridden i fully assumed that i knew that was how that was it's how it, you know it's been explained in legends the expanded universe prior to disney uh what he was doing uh and, and you know he's just kind of being a hermit and he's He's sad and alone and broken, right? And at some point during his stay there, he is able to find peace with him in himself, learn from Yoda's teachings to commune with Qui-Gon from the netherworld of the Force and bring more balance to himself, become more powerful and learn to become more powerful in death after Vader strikes him down. That's the development that needed to be shown. So we got that in episode one to establish his current state after episode three, uh, after Revenge of the Sith. And then we, in episode six, I think was a really good way of showing how he comes to terms with Anakin being dead. That, yeah, Anakin physically is still alive, but he is, um, for all intents and purposes, emotionally and spiritually dead, or so far buried beneath Darth Vader. And that's when you see that emotional moment between Kenobi and Vader on that random planet where, you know, Kenobi slices open his helmet. We see Hayden Christensen's 
Ryan's face, there's a little bit of a glimmer. They play with, I think it was kind of neat how they play with the 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 glow of the lightsabers so that whenever whenever he was talking to Anakin and Anakin was listening, the blue hue of the lightsaber was on Vader's face. But then as soon as Vader would respond with the, the gargled Vader voice, it was more of a red hue from his own lightsaber. So it was kind of that back and forth, almost that Jekyll and Hyde type interesting part of Vader that we've known throughout all the series that have existed. So we see Obi-Wan have to have that emotional moment and confront the fact that his friend is actually dead. And then, and then he says goodbye, Darth, and, 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 and gives him mercy, as is kind of the running theme is of, of, I guess, Star Wars in general, that mercy is, is how you defeat, not with vengeance, and which is fine. We can debate the philosophy there. But it's like that, that was the moment that I wanted. That entire development that happened in that, in that last 20 minutes of that episode for Obi-Wan should have been stretched out over either the course of a series or it should have just been one chunk of two hours in a movie format that showed that rather than having all this extra shit that we didn't care about, like Reva, fine. She's a, she's a, she's a fine character. There's I, I, whatever, you know, but I don't care about her because she's new to the series. And I came to the series to watch Obi-Wan Kenobi. So when we're having this emotional fight between these two actors that we haven't seen portray these, these characters in 20 years to split that up between Reva going and, and trying to kill Luke is weird. In episode in Revenge of the Sith, we had it split up between Palpatine versus Yoda and Obi-Wan versus Anakin. Four characters that we care deeply about because they're established beings within the universe of Star Wars that we know, right? So to go back and forth between those fights makes sense. It's kind of a parallel, right? But for this, it's like episode six defeats itself because it's like half Reva and half Obi-Wan, and it should have been 100% Obi-Wan. To me, that's not a small criticism. That's that's my, that's that, that's why I'm I'm so frustrated with how this turned out because there are some great moments. If I could edit together pieces of this series and moments and dialogue and whatever, there are really great character moments. But it's so beaten down by nonsense that makes me frustrated that it wasn't the Obi Wan Kenobi show. It was the Obi Wan and friends, but his friends are on screen sometimes more. Like I wish I could do the math. I bet there's more Reva than there is of Vader and Kenobi. I, there could be, and that's frustrating. Something I want to maybe address, and then also I came to the, like, as you were talking, Alan, I came to this, like, self-aware moment that <laughs> was, like, a crushing defeat almost <laughs> for myself. So in, in what you were saying where it was, like, you wanted to see, you wanted that, that moment that was strong for you where he's accepting that Anakin is actually dead. Could, could you also make the argument that in Revenge of the Sith, that that whole 45 minute fight between them at the end does that they they have their talk before and he and he's like oh you're turning to the dark side anakin and then they fight and you get to the very end and he's like don't try it anakin i have the high ground and he fucking cuts his arm and legs off and leaves him to burn to death that's like oh i'm accepting that my best friend is dead isn't that enough of a character beat where he's like okay i left him to die and now i'm gonna take care of his children and that's my way of like transitioning into this different part of my life like i there's there was no part of me that thought that he doesn't necessarily seem haunted in a new hope probably because he has 20 years but i never and this was my self-realization moment where i was like i was one of those people who i was like man i would love to see obi-wan's character on tatooine during this 20 year time period like what happened what was he doing what was his thought process like but no part of me also thought like oh he's just like haunted and depressed by the fate of Anakin like I, I guess that was the case but now that I'm seeing it in action I'm like I had that already I didn't need this to understand this transition like time in and of itself like seeing him and his weathered face between like him being Ewan 
in the original in the prequel trilogy and then Al- sir alec guinness in a new hope like i know the time has passed and now i know the context from seeing revenge of the sith to new hope what that thought process would be and it's like now that i see it it it's cheapened that the grandeur of it almost and like he is this like old samurai who's seen some shit and he is haunted by things but now he's also a wise sage to bring up this other young jedi to hopefully bring down you know the dark side and the in the empire to bring balance to the force as it were it's like i had all the pieces there already and it was it was special because of that like i I had all of it there and i'm at fault now for wanting to see this series and now that it exists i don't even know at this point like if it was if it was better written would it still would it still be dissatisfying to me because like what I wanted all along was not what I actually wanted. That's this is my the realization I'm having just now where I'm like I'm I am to blame for this. <laughs> I was thinking about that kind of the same idea. Me per- like I said, I'm personally I loved what happened with it. But I feel like I, I was actually gonna ask you guys because this was brought on by the fact that fans have been asking for an Obi-Wan show for years. People have been like, Yes, bring Ewan back, bring him back to do something, bring him back to the show, and then they do it. And now everyone's mad because it wasn't exactly what they wanted. Like, I think it was almost built up too much in people's mind for what they wanted. And then when they do something and the people who were really into that, it just didn't work for them. Is that, do you think that's what happened? Was it just people hyped it up too much in their minds? Yes, because that same thing happened with episode one with Phantom Menace. We have to remember that Star Wars is 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 not. It's Star Wars is a, is it, the source material is a very very simple saved in editing low budget film that happened to be a breakthrough in special effects. Just simple small storytelling about a farm boy who saves a princess, right? And that turned into episodes four, five, and six, which turned out to be a great trilogy, right? Four, five, and six, for all intents and purposes, are the best three of the Star Wars films that ever have, will ever exist. Period. Then. How many years went by? 15? Between Return of the Jedi and Phantom? Lucas had written some sort of outline, because I, th- I think, and Grant, you can talk, you can probably attest to this, that when you do character writing, you you do have some kind of a background biography on them that may never see the light of day, but you, it helps inform their mannerisms and how they are and how they interact with other people. He had this all written up. He knew, like, Luke's father was Anakin. Anakin was a Jedi. This Jedi was awesome. He's super powerful, right? So now he has enough money in the bank because he's George Lucas and with one of the biggest royalty deals on toys and video games and books and everything ever to exist. Now he can direct and write everything by himself with no help. And he does it. And episode one is Phantom Menace is a mess. It's a, I love it. It's great, but it's also a mess. It has too much going on. And George Lucas himself said that in a, in a screening that this is just, this is a nightmare. And then people go into the theater expecting to see what they saw in 1977 for the first time. And is that their fault or is that Lucas's fault or is it Star Wars fault or is it critics fault for hyping it up that way? I mean, we can all agree that the prequels lost a little bit of the magic because it was just 99% CGI, even though that was required for movies to advance because thankfully for the prequels, we have a lot of technological advances, (laughs) but it's still frustrating because we felt I think all three of us did when we saw episode seven with The Force Awakens when J.J. brought back animatronics and actual set pieces that regardless of the story, it felt better. It looked better. It felt like people were interacting with people, right? It wasn't just a giant green screen. I think we as a fan base have a problem with expecting there to be that same magic 
every time. But then I think Disney has a larger problem with thinking it can trick the fan base for everything. Of all the things you're going to fuck up and, and divide the fan base on, this was my argument to begin with when Disney bought Star Wars. They should have gone like a thousand years in the future and ignored the Skywalker saga. But now you're playing with fire because now you're taking characters like Solo. You're taking characters like Kenobi and you're you're potentially hurting the legacy and the vision we all have or the perception we have of them because nowhere in our wildest dreams will it live up to what we expect to see from those characters. Like how can you how can you recast Harrison Ford? I'm with you, Dan. Solo was a great fun little thief adventure. I think Grant enjoyed it too. But it's 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 not on Solo. It's just a fun side story that doesn't really matter. So if if they're going to treat characters like that, like they're doing with what they did with Kenobi, it's a fun little story that doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It does cheapen it a little bit. Even if this is a fun plot, whatever, that you really enjoyed as a Star Wars fan, we get to see, I mean, the, the, the end fight between Vader and Kenobi, no doubt was well choreographed. It was fun. It was whatever. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't have any emotional weight and doesn't add to the characters of Kenobi and, 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 and Vader, what's the point? And then the point for me always circles back to, well, Disney wants to make money. And then it's like, well, how special is Star Wars really if we can just pump out 17 seasons of Kenobi and make all their money because it's cool to see? Because then, it, you know, we're kind of messing with the canon. And I'm going to get into some of the questions about, like, just the logical aspects of Star Wars. But, I mean, is there any part of you, Dan, that feels like maybe they're oversaturating the market with just Star Wars content? That there's a point where it's like, well, okay, this is too much. You guys, are, you guys should focus on rather than having seven shows at one time. One or two projects over the course of four or five years and make them great. I'm fine with how they're doing it personally i've enjoyed all the content i would love for them to put more effort into individual things and that's why you have different people working on different things like you've said mandalorian has been great boba fett i enjoyed but i accept that it wasn't a perfect show it wasn't as good as mandalorian but you have those people who are generally care about the canon they care about these stories that they're telling they're getting to tell those stories that they have i'm super excited about ahsoka because it's a continuation of rebels because it's this ongoing story that is connected to the skywalker saga but it's not those same characters. They're getting to do all these shows and there's definitely I, I've I've always disagreed with the oversaturation thing because I feel like they've done enough good work that they have my trust. They haven't earned yours. <laughs> Every month, Grant and I will tackle an important topic while enjoying a glass of whiskey. If you don't agree with our opinions on these issues, that's great. We want to hear from you and hear your side of the story. Our goal is to understand different perspectives and engage in conversations that matter without regressing to the same division that exists in our hyperpartisan politics. We can and must do better in finding common ground. Discussions breed solutions. The Kogan Conversation is a podcast that welcomes respectful discourse, paired with a glass of whiskey, of course. If you'd like to offer your take on an upcoming episode or join us for a glass of whiskey, please reach out to us on social media or head over to our website and send us a message. Wouldn't it be nice to know what topics are coming up and when an episode is releasing from the Kogan Conversation? Subscribing to our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, following us on Spotify, and of course following us on social media helps immensely. You can also head over to our website and sign up for our email list so you never miss out on any episodes or information. Cheers! However you feel about like the sequel trilogy with Force Awakens, Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker and like the failed handshake between filmmakers and producers to try and tell those stories like 
we talked about Rise of Skywalker two years ago. It's, you know, lingering and you enjoyed it. We weren't big fans, but at least like JJ, like has like an attention to detail and can make stuff that like, while it's complete nonsense in terms of the writing, like, I don't know, things have weight like and and at least the the, the illogical threads have some kind of like fun pizzazz put into them where you're, you're distracted just enough where you're like excited about it. But this is just like when it was when it felt like rushed and like the storytelling holes started to pile up. There wasn't that like same mark of quality, like someone behind the camera who really knows how to just like tell a fun visual story. Like this just felt like they brought in some no name. Like I don't know who Deborah Chow is. She's probably made some other maybe decent stuff. I can't speak to that. But if I had to judge, I only have this to judge off of her directing work. But it feels like they brought someone in who didn't know what they were doing and they handed her a giant franchise very important like this is the skywalker saga now like we're, we're dealing with obi-wan and leia organa and luke skywalker and and darth vader like these are the main characters of that saga and we're we're telling this like very seemingly important story to the canon and we're giving it to someone who seemingly doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't have that same like adept skill to at least somewhat try and pull together these like this like what felt like very rushed scripts like you were when it got to what was like episode four it was like 35 minutes and things were just like like happening at like a breakneck pace but nothing made sense like the prison break episode that we all agreed was like really weak like this is impenetrable fortress and then and then the next scene they're like diving in and then he's already in and it's like i thought this was impenetrable nothing about this has any stakes right now because like there's the 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 geography of things didn't make sense the action felt really lackluster honestly the only like action bit that had that choreography to it was in episode six between vader and obi-wan but like i was watching that scene and then i was thinking like wow 10 years later they're just going to be standing on the death star awkwardly fighting each other like what happened in those nine years where it, it turned from this this like basically fan film into what we know as actual star wars which Nobody's ever nobody's favorite lightsaber fight has ever been New Hope, but at least that had like weight to it in that movie. You know? That's that, and I think that's an interesting question too. To, and, and I think we can just ask each other this: because why why is the lightsaber fight between Kenobi and Vader on the Death Star more impactful? Why does that stick with me in my in my memory bank more than let's say the fight on Mustafar? Right, the Mustafar fight. As a kid, watching them fight, and there—I mean, there's no question there should be credit given to the the choreography and the and the training that Hayden and Ewan went through. I mean, obviously that's very hard to do, and they were using actual metal poles, right? But the prequel trilogy went over the top with lightsaber dueling, and the sequel and the in the original trilogy, and to some degree the sequel trilogy, they they felt a lot more reserved and. That fight scene on the Death Star where Kenobi pass or Kenobi transitions into the Force on a story level and the lore, we can theorize why that was. That okay, well they were timid, they were they weren't really sure of each other. They hadn't the last time they fought each other was obviously what we just watched, and they were like going crazy in God mode and whatever, and. So now they're reserved and hesitant. In reality, we know behind the scenes it's because the 1977 only gives credence to so much you can do. And Sir Alec Guinness was old. So in a suit, I'm sure the Darth Vader suit in 1977, I'm sure if he, if he was to swing around that fast, things would start falling off. That aside, what isn't it? Wouldn't it be better, though, for and I think this is where George Lucas messed up with the prequels is to for, like let the visuals tell the story. Don't force all this crazy cgi like i didn't as much as it was to, 
cool to see Yoda do flips in episode two. I didn't need that. I need him to be the wise Jedi master. So why not match what you've already created, accept the limitations of the time with the, the CGI and the special effects and what you could do and just make, if you're going to make stuff before that time, match that same theme, match that same look. And he didn't do that with the prequels, which is a frustration. Doesn't mean I, I don't like them. It's just a, just a thing that doesn't connect. Uh, and now you have Kenobi and Vader who are like literally throwing building sized rocks at each other. And it makes me wonder where did those powers go? Is it is that just, well, it's an over-exaggeration just for visual effect? Or is it is it the force is always there for that moment, but they just reserve themselves in certain fights? That's frustrating to me, that that logic, that connectivity doesn't make sense. And when you go so over the top with like Kenobi rising up like a thousand rocks and berating Vader or, or Vader stopping a ship and tearing the ship apart to get to get Kenobi. It's like, well, why doesn't why don't you just do that to every ship and do that to anything? Why didn't he force grab the Tanta four that was flying away that had the Death Star plans? Like that was a very high stakes situation. And Vader just let him go. Is Vader just like the ultimate drama queen and just wants to have that sweeter moment? And if that's true, then that's not being told properly. And from a story standpoint. Because I think, Dan, from your point of view, I think as just a, as, as just an enjoyer of seeing things on screen as far as lightsabers and fights and whatever, yeah, this was fun. It was entertaining. It was whatever. But then it comes down to the actual impactful moments of the story for me that make it not really fit into the puzzle piece that is Star Wars. And that's where I have frustration. I don't have frustration with Ewan's performance, whatever. I don't have, it's, it was all fine. But when it means like when you're shoving it into Star Wars that already exists, that's where I kind of get like, uh, like remember when Count Dooku was and fighting Yoda and he had to like force himself hard to think and concentrate about pulling down part of the ceiling with the force. And then Yoda had to stop everything he was doing and like strain himself to, to stop the thing from falling on Obi-Wan and Anakin. And it was like a five minute scene of him like uh, straining himself. And Vader's just like that and like half a fucking planet blows up like i mean that that's weird that's the, you know that's a vader's a literal force god now and it's like i when was vader a force god oh he's a force god now because no offense dan but like fanboys watch it and they're they see it and they cream in their pants <laughs> like that's the only reason that's in there but it makes no fucking sense it happens. <laughs> <laughs> but dan what i'm what i'm saying does that make sense like I, i'm not i don't i'm not yeah. this is without me trashing it this is just explaining I'm <laughs> There has always been just a general inconsistency in the power of the Force in Star Wars. That's always been a thing. You just can't correct it at this point. I've become very good at rationalizing how Star Wars works in my head. Like, if you want my explanation, and, like, this is them, like, at their peak force. Well, Obi-Wan has gotten back his peak force powers, and now he's got to use... In this battle, it's less about the lightsabers like it was on Musfar. It's more about their prowess with the force. Just like that... It kind of a reverse of the Dooku Yoda fight in episode two, Attack of the Clones. So now in this one, they're using more of the force, but they're using the force physically. In my mind, when you only get to episode four, they're still having that intense force battle, but now it's just a battle of the minds. That's my that's my rationale. I'm just saying that's how there has to be with Star Wars, with the way they portrayed the force, because then you get into the weird expanded universe stuff where force powers just get stupid ridiculous. I, you sent me a message when we were talking about last week's episode about like the comparison with like the force unleashed and like how crazy powerful that is. They did it cool at the time because that was fun to play as it, it's the expanded universe. They get to show more of that stuff that they can't really show in the movies. And now you have to try 
try and find ways to rationalize why it wasn't that way in the originals and you just kind of have to accept it you have there has to be uh, some sort of suspension of disbelief in this pretend universe that we all love sometimes they just want to show that on screen and i loved it like it was so exciting because then you still get that character moment at the end yeah they like built up this big awesome fight but then they have one of the best scenes in this in this entire series was that conversation between obi-wan and darth vader it's my favorite scene by far in the entire thing and we got to see an awesome fight right before it, it built up to that with this big combat yeah and i i think i think part of the part of the joy that i think grant and i are having issue finding is like what you just did is theorize the rationale behind things and it's fun for us to think about and that's what like you know it, it sparks imagination and you try to think like okay what maybe there's actually a smart reason why obi-wan and, and vader aren't being so crazy with the force in episode four through six right yeah i, I think i think that's the fun part i think where it's tripping grant and i up and grant speak for yourself but it's the execution of the storytelling that the impact and the weight isn't there it's it feels it still feels to me as with a lot of what Star Wars is with Disney is that it's putting cool things on screen just to put cool things on screen. I'm OK. I'm 100 percent OK with having awesome, cool battles and, and lightsabers and, and, and stuff on screen. I'm 100 percent OK with that. I love it. I will eat it up every day of the week. But if it doesn't have a good story behind it, if there isn't priority given to the actual meaning behind it, like Force Unleashed wasn't just fun because you're blowing shit up with the Force and throwing two lightsabers at a time and smoking uh, uh, stormtroopers. It was awesome because the story was well told. It was it would had great direction. And I think that's where my that's where I'm trying to I can't get there with Kenobi because there's moments that are good and there are moments that just don't make sense. That's my that's my problem. I think you stated it very, very well, Alan. I uh, my honest issue with it is I, I also like I don't mind, you know, awesome fan servicey kind of stuff. It's it's my similar issue with something like like Rogue One, where none of the characters had like depth in my mind and the the, the situation that they're in. Like, I, I guess you can make the same argument about the prequel movies when you're watching. It's like, you know what the outcome is going to be? Anakin's going to turn into Darth Vader. But it's like how you get there that, like, keeps you engaged. That Those movies are riddled with issues when it comes to the writing. But, like, I would argue that George Lucas got those, that got that core relationship at least somewhat right between Anakin and Obi-Wan and, and Anakin's downfall and the intrigue behind it. A lot of people probably wouldn't agree with me with that. But when I was a kid, it worked really well for me. And... Arguably, we are the target audience for this show because that, that that plot worked for us in those prequel movies. And now you want to see those same actors in these same roles, you know, 10 years later, where are they at and how does that dynamic keep going? But even this had like felt like it had it felt so much more cynical and and there was nowhere near as much care as Luke George Lucas put into sitting in a chair in a green screen studio talking about how funny Jar Jar is like that has more that has less cynicism to me than than something like this which it's just like oh who cares if it breaks the canon oh oh who cares if none of this makes sense the fans are going to eat it up whatever we'll put it out and people will like it and we can do 10 spinoff shows from it we're gonna do a reva show we're gonna do a, a quick a quagon obi-wan buddy comedy with darth maul showing back up we're gonna you know it's like i i feel so indifferent like i it i i've lost 
my getting angry about these things. I just I'm like, I legitimately could not bring myself to care about another piece of Star Wars content for maybe as long as I live. I'm I I might be just resigning myself forever from having to watch any more Disney Star Wars content. Grant, I want you to tell us what you liked about this. If anything stood out to you as like a nugget of hope that if if you could go back in time and make something out of it or if there's something that you like really you like to see it was like oh wow that was a great moment i want more of that as a star wars fan <laughs> you have to have an answer right i know you have an answer you gotta think about it though i thought it was fun when Aunt baru turned into a girl boss and pulled out her shotgun uh Aunt baru a star wars story yeah <laughs> stop it you're gonna give them ideas I thought it was cool that they that they brought Joel Edgerton back. That's pretty neat. It's consistent. It's the same actress for Baru, too. That was pretty cool. She was in that cult next to him. Did you watch that doc? She was in that crazy cult and almost got branded. Anyway, she's back in Star Wars, so is it much better? <laughs> oh, my God. It's really cool that they, they actually flew Liam Neeson out to the middle of the Tunisian desert to shoot that one scene with him and Obi-Wan together on location i thought that was really really impressive and i I think the dedication that these actors have to this franchise just shows through in that scene i agree grant i agree 100 (laughs) percent. oh my god you're such an asshole (laughs) oh yeah i i mean movie magic man if they didn't show him we would get the same thing everyone would be like where's liam neeson right well and i i think i think that might be a good way to wrap the wrap of this conversation in 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 full that that the star wars is is a really unique property and the fact that it it has some severely toxic fans grant i know you and i don't fall in that category because we're not like online bullying star wars actors right but maybe you are i don't know but uh i was say i I could see grant doing it (laughs) i have a lot of smurf accounts yeah (laughs) but star wars is full of very toxic fans and i i think It'd be interesting to see how the fan base would have been back in the 70s and 80s had Twitter and Facebook and and YouTube existed, right? Because there's a lot of great things that have come from social media and, and, and YouTube because there's a lot of people online who have channels that are dedicated to fan fiction and theories and whatever. There's also a lot that gives a lot of breath to people who are just like that loud minority who just want to say the worst type of shit, right? And, you know, online bullying is a thing. And, you know, it used to be just a, a bad critic or a bad review in, a, in the paper. And, you know, oh, well, you get over it. And the, the, the vast majority of people are either indifferent or are OK with you. Right. But you hear that the loudest ones are the ones who hate you. And now that hate is borne out in Twitter and Facebook and is just pounding you over the head all the time. And it's toxic. It's bad. It, 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 it created suicidal tendencies within Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar, who, you know, I think we can separate the criticism of Jar Jar, the character and his place in the universe versus the actor who played him. And Star Wars fans that don't do that are wrong. Same with Reva. We can criticize her character, but like Moses Ingram is for all intents and purposes is a perfectly fine person. I don't, under, I don't understand the issue with that. But it's like everyone has these ideals and it kind of goes back to what Dan was saying that we have this, we 
hype it up so much and we have this idea of what it's supposed to be and as we kind of did it to ourselves that we don't like it or we do like it or i mean i don't know about you dan if you were let down by anything i mean you enjoyed what it was but i'm sure there's parts of you where that were like if i had my hand on the wheel if it was my fan fiction film i think it would have been cool to see this it would have been cool to see that but the fans that kind of go at that in a personal attack of the either the writers the directors the the characters whatever that's where it gets wrong separating that criticism versus personal attack is 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 of, of, of utmost issue and i don't know why it's so unique to star wars fans because it probably happened with star trek when the first the one when the first three star treks came out with jj abrams but it's it's not as ferocious as star wars for some reason we are just so it probably is because lucas set us up for failure with all the changes he did with the special editions that we just became divided to begin with what's canon isn't canon anymore and we have it would also didn't help that we had 40 plus years of expanded universe lore and 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 stories that i grew up reading and, and loving and then for disney to come in and just say yeah it's a little too complicated so it's all not canon anymore and it's like well, okay my entire perception and and vision of luke skywalker is one thing and now the true canon disney version of, of uh, luke skywalker is something a hundred percent different and that's either going to piss you off or you're going to be interested and go oh that's interesting you know so I, I i think there's just a lot ingrained with the like who owns the property who owns the the love for that the project and i i i understand uh, to a lot of people that star wars just shouldn't be fucked with but i also love seeing new things it's a weird dichotomy in my brain because i told you the first episode we did on this i love seeing shit on screen kenobi invader fighting in this last episode it was great do i think that the story was was well told no so that I have those two things. Does, it, does that mean it shouldn't be made? Well, maybe if Dave Filoni was directing it, it might be better for me because he was one of the people who was under the tutelage of George Lucas himself. Maybe that would make me better about it. I don't know. I, I think we should bring back Sobolba. That's my, own, my, my entire point. This podcast is a work of passion and it's completely self-funded. We want to continue providing this platform dedicated to free thought and conversation, but we kindly ask that you show your support. Patreon isn't just a platform where you can give a small monthly donation. It also gives you exclusive access to extended, unedited episodes, bonus content, as well as creative input into whatever we cover. Being a supporter on Patreon makes you a member of the Kogan Conversation family and helps us continue this passion project. For just a few bucks a month, you can help us grow. The more we grow, the more perks can come to being a supporter on Patreon. Head over to our website and learn how you can sign up. I'm Alan. And I'm Grant. Thank you for listening to The Kogan Conversation. This podcast is about engaging with different perspectives, values, and ideas. We want to learn how to progress conversations on important topics without assuming the worst in each other. Each month, we will tackle a new topic while enjoying a glass of our favorite spirit and shed light on the beauty of good conversation. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.